Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. This is the 55th episode in our Tartan Talk series. Our guest on this episode is Bruce Charlton. Bruce is the Chief Design Officer of Robert Trent Jones II Golf Course Architects. Bruce has been with the firm now for 40 years. So longevity in a tough business is going to be one of the topics on this podcast. We're also going to get into Bruce's early days on a golf course and what it was like to be a assistant superintendent as a teenager. But before we get going with Bruce, we'd like to thank Better Billy Bunker for supporting this podcast. Better Billy Bunker is not only a big supporter of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, Better Billy Bunker supports a number of industry efforts, including the work of golf course superintendents. So we're glad they're on board, and we're glad that Bruce had some time to join us. Well, Bruce, thanks for joining us. It's awesome to have you on the podcast, and we have a whole bunch of questions we want to get to, but I was just speaking with you off air, and the first thing I want to get to here is tell our listeners about the interesting 5K route you have back home in <laughs> Northern California. Well, believe me, it's a pleasure. I always love, love talking golf art pictures, so you're not, you, you, you may have to shut me up after this. So but, uh, yeah, so yeah, I, I, uh, I'm lucky enough to live uh, in our offices in Palo Alto, California, and I actually live in Santa Cruz, which is just over the hill, as they say. It's about a 40-minute drive, and, and I live at a place called Pop Tiempo, which is a great uh, Alistair McKenzie design Um and it was actually where Alistair McKenzie, you know, chose to uh, to live and end up uh, spending the latter part of his life. So uh, I live right across the, uh, the a big ravine from the maintenance building. And so I've got a great, I'm a runner, so I've got a great 5K route that I leave the house and I basically run around the perimeter of the front nine and up to the back nine and a tee on 10 and 18 and come back to the house. It's a beautiful 5K. And so whenever I, <laughs> I'm, especially in COVID, when I'm sitting around drawing golf courses and I need some inspiration, I just put on my running clothes and just go out and run around and look at, look at Alistair McKenzie's stuff. And it's, uh, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's really a good example of, uh, of Alistair McKenzie work here. And uh, everybody in the community, you know, a lot of people that are are outside of golf don't know necessarily who Alistair McKenzie is, but boy, everybody here does. And and, um, it's uh, it's a great it's a great spot. I take it there's probably some topography on that run, too. Oh, yeah. You know what? Funny you say that. You know, I've developed on the same loop. I've developed that one direction is much easier than the other direction. So depending on how I'm feeling that day, uh, I usually try to go the tough way, which is, has more uphill in it. Um, so, but some days if you're just don't have quite the energy, I'll do one where you have more downhills, but yeah, it's, it's got some topography and, you know, like, like most Alistair McKenzie courses, you know, don't get above the hole on the, on the greens at past and, and, uh, you know, cause they're built into some really cool environments with a lot of slope underneath them. I tell, my coworkers here at Golf Course Industry and other people in the industry that some of my best content and creative ideas come when I'm on a run or a hike or a bike ride. I take it you probably find that to be the case too with your line of work. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I mean, like, like I said, I'll often be in the middle of doing something, you know, sketching up something or whatever, and uh, you know, I kind of kind of get a, a breaking point and I just want to kind of walk away from a while and. And uh, and uh, go out and I go for a run and all of a sudden an idea will pop in my brain like well shoot I should think about when I get back I should think about this and sure enough some of those ideas are the best ones um, 
I've run I've run six or seven marathons, I think seven now, seven marathons, and one of the best ways for me to <laughs> to to handle all the time it takes to run a marathon is I'll 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 be doing golf course plans in my head for you know four or five six of those miles so that I can. I, I, I can divert my uh, energy and my thoughts away from the pain I'm enduring. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, just exercising and, and uh, just being on a golf course and playing golf is, is great inspiration for me. I don't care where I'm playing. I, I, I usually pick up something. I, you know, it's always, it's always in my brain, as my wife says. <laughs> I've run one marathon, and I actually listened to golf podcasts while doing the marathon. Oh, did you? Really? Well, good for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm a weird bird, though. But, okay, so you recently celebrated your 40th anniversary with Robert Trent Jones to Golf Course Architects. Well, first off, congrats on that. But how does somebody in your line of work, heck, how does somebody in any line of work make it 40 years with the same company? I think that the bottom line is being able to, you know, be yourself and express yourself and, and think creatively, bounce bounce ideas off of your cohorts. And, um, you know, and to Mr. Jones's credit, I mean, he's always had a team of designers that highly talented people that would rub elbows with each other. And, you know, and, and you, know, you know how designers are, you know, my idea is the best idea sometimes, you know, but he, Bobby developed a, a kind of a, uh, um, you know the, the right kind of atmosphere where we could we could talk to each other and say, well, that's a, that, no, I don't know if that works very well, Bruce. You know, you, you're, you're playing uh, you know against the grain on this hole. You might want to rethink about playing that hole a different direction. We had all those kinds of conversations throughout the years, and and it's just it's just really a uh, uh, collaborative environment. It always has been, and. Uh, you know, you just get a chance to be yourself, and uh, not everybody's the same, obviously, and not every golf hole is the same. Not every golf course is the same. So you got you, it gives you a chance to throw a lot of your personality into into what you do. When did you first meet Robert Trent Jones Jr. and what do you remember about that meeting? The first time I met Mr. Jones is I had just finished. Uh, um, school at the University of Arizona in Tucson. I was working uh, in an architecture firm in Phoenix about three or four months after graduation, and and um, I got the uh, call uh, from members of the RTJ team that they were looking for uh, a design, a design associate. So I, I went through the process and, and went out to California and did an interview and then flew back, and it was literally the the night that I got back into Phoenix, I got a call and on the phone, hello, Bruce, this is a Robert Trent Jones Jr. And I went, oh, hello, Mr. Jones. And he goes, don't call me Mr. Jones, call me Bob. I said, okay. <laughs> so, and he just asked me some questions. So my first meeting was, was over the phone. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, he gave me a little bit of a needle now and then about, well, you know, being a desert rat, and, you know, I don't know if you can live out in California, you'll be all out of I just said, hey, I can give, live anywhere as long as I'm out drawing golf courses. <laughs> so uh, I guess that line stuck. And and then, uh, so that was the first time I met him, uh, you know, was on the phone call right before they selected me to work there. And then the second time was, was I had been working at the office for about two weeks. Bob was on a trip to Asia. 
And I can remember Bobby coming in after this long trip, coming into our conference room, sitting down, and, you know, he looked pretty darn good for the, you know, the long-haul flight from Asia. And we're sitting there and we're talking, introduced, you know, the guys introduced me to him and says, oh, so you're the desert guy. You're the desert guy. And he goes, yeah. He goes, well, um, you know what? I'm really hungry. I think we need to get some pizza and, and, and talk. So we just had a staff meeting. I went out and got the pizza. And, of course, I'm the low guy on the totem pole. I'm getting the pizza, right? I'm going out and getting the pizza. So so I we got the pizza and we brought it in. We had a little staff meeting. That was the first time I met him. And, he, um, and you know, he, he's like I said, he's, uh, you know, he's just a, a very collaborative guy. What was the firm like at that time? I mean, how many people worked there? What was the atmosphere and vibe like back then? Oh, the vibe was uh, was extremely. Uh, it was busy. I mean, busy, busy, busy. Uh, and I mean, I'm still really busy today. I mean, because everything's you know we've everything's so much smaller. But but we had we had a really good design team of Don Knott, Gary Lynn, uh, Mark Rayford at that time, and and then they brought me in for. So we typically had a a group of four main designers underneath Mr. Jones. I would say for the first 20 years of, of the time I was there and uh, you know, people left and, you know, after Mark Rayther left, Kyle Phillips came in and that, that was a, that was probably the highlight team. I would say um, we did probably the, the bulk of, of production of work during those days. And then, uh, you know, Kyle has since, you know, gone out on his own and, and, uh, and Don and Gary have, have done their thing also. So, um, you know, I've, I've, I've hung in there and, uh, and we've got, you know, great people that have worked with this and continue to work with us. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was at that time, it was, we had probably 50% of our work was in Asia and 50% of it was other parts of the world. And, uh, so we, I mean, the thing that struck me and that I didn't expect when I started uh, working at Jones, how many projects there were all over the world, and we were we were doing them, and people were getting on planes, going to all kinds of strange places, and and uh, building golf courses, and uh, that was that was enlightening to me. What were some of your early site visits that stick out still to this day? <laughs> well, I, I think uh, you know one of the very first projects I worked on was a place called Spanish Trail in Las Vegas, and I remember going out there and. And uh, I think I think Mr. Jones and the team put put me out there because they had this great site super guy, supervisor, a, a gentleman who since passed away by the name of Whitey Wardell. And Whitey, I show up and with Bobby, and Whitey looks at Bobby and goes, "Oh boy, you gave me the green guy. I got to treat this guy like you know." He's but Whitey was great. He taught me so much. And then probably the other site visit was one the first time I went to China was uh, when we were doing a place called Trans Strait uh, Golf Club in, near Fuzhou, China. And um, it was, uh, you know, it was back in the time when, uh, there, you know, there weren't a lot of American tourists being seen in China at that time. And I remember getting there and everybody just kind of stopping and staring uh, at us. Uh, hotel rooms were terrible, <laughs> but the site was all sand next to the sea. So it was, it was, it was definitely worth, worth the travel. And talk about running stories. I, I actually got brave enough one morning to put on my running clothes and just kind of walk, you know, run down the main street to the end and run back. And 
boy, you should have seen people stop in their tracks and look at me. It's like, who is this guy? He's tall, and why is he running? <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, those are some of the initial site visits, you know, when I first started uh, that, that really stick out, yeah. At what point did you realize that maybe you would be with the firm for a significantly long time? That's a good question. I would say I probably realized it when um, two times. Number one, we were working on a project called Coda de Casa down in, down in Orange County, California. It was a big, big development for our Vita Corporation. And we had 36 holes. And um, Don Knott and I started working on it. And uh, Don, in his own great way, just said, hey, hey Bruce, you know what? Uh, this is a big project. I need to spend, we need somebody focused on this project. So you're the right guy. So he put me on it. And the next thing I know, when we finished the second course, it was 23 years later. Uh, and I remember at the grand opening telling people that, um, that I was very happy yet very sad that Cota de Casa was opening the South course because I've been working on Coda de Casa as long as I've been with the firm. And now I won't have Coda de Casa to work on anymore. <laughs> and, and probably the second time was when we were doing a, uh, in Santa Barbara, we were doing a place called Rancho San Marcos. And that was, we were building it for grassroots people, about 18 people that wanted to build a golf course. And they had this great piece of property and we went through all kinds of revisions to the plans, uh, through environmental procedures, EIRs, environmental impact reports, went all the way to state court, state supreme court, uh, based on the validity of the environmental impact reports. So, at that grand opening, I realized that uh, I had been working with all these people for 28 years. It took us 25, 26 years to actually get the golf course built those were two times I'm, i that's when i realized wow i've been around for a while <laughs> the golf course architecture tree that you're on it extends back a long time did you get to know robert trent jones senior at all yeah early on early on and he was always uh extremely um open with his with his comments in terms of trying to teach me, right? So, I, I mean, I remember the very, very first time I remember Trevor Trent Jones Sr., which is, uh, which is really fun. I'm, I've been with, uh, with Bobby and RTJ2 now for probably four months. And I knew uh, Bob said, well, my dad's coming out. We're going to go look at something together. He's going to come by the office, so make sure you clean it up. <laughs> I said, okay, okay. So, so we got the office all cleaned up, and I'm sitting there working on a grading plan uh, and, um, I'm working away. It's middle of the day. And, um, Bobby comes in and goes, hi, Bruce. Uh, um, uh, I'd like to introduce you to my dad. And I look up and there's Trent. He's got the, you know, the floppy hat on and, and uh, and he's very kind and says, hello, Bruce. How are you? You know, my son says good things about you, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's trying to butter me up right away. <laughs> and so, he sits there and he looks at he looks at my drawing. He goes, "Oh, what are you doing there, young man?" And I said, "Well, I'm 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 drawing a grading plan." He goes, "Ah," oh. he says, "Well, I, you know what the first rule of golf architecture is?" And I'm going, "Lay out." I look up at him like, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I, I'm sure I'm gonna learn here." And uh, so yeah, he says, "Well, the first 
rule of golf course architecture. It's called drainage, drainage, drainage. Because if you follow where the water goes, the golf ball will follow. It's called gravity. And um, he, 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 you know, it was pretty funny because he prefaced it by asking me a question before he relinquished all that. He said, Bruce, what's the first rule of real estate? And I went, I have, I don't know. And he goes, location, location, location. So much like that, here's what golf courses the first rule is. So I've, I've kept that with me as long as I've lived. And I do to this day when I read greens when I, as a player, I get on the green and I say, okay, where's the water going here? And I just try to imagine, you know, it raining like crazy on this green and where's the water go? I try to find the low spots on the green and then say, okay, pretty much the ball's going to probably head that direction. <laughs> so it's something that stuck with me as long as uh, will as long as I live because it's a great, great piece of advice. Now, how how often have you gotten on sites and wondered how are we going to get this to drain properly? All the time. Um, <laughs> I, I, I see it all the time. And, uh, uh, you know, you, you have a lot of tools, you know, in your, in, in your toolkit. You know, you've got, you know, where you can take it to catch basins and get pipe at a low percentage and get water away and everything. But uh, to this day, I still design for the water to move even before I think about the shot. I want to make sure I can get the water to move and then think about the shot values. And so many times they combine, and then, then you've got the marriage of great things, right, when you can get all those things to work. And, and uh, it's, uh, that's, when you, that's when you hit the home run. All right, let's go back a little bit further. You've spent the last four decades in California, but you're not from the West Coast. You're, you're from the Midwest. Describe your upbringing into the game of golf. <laughs> Well, my um, my dad was huge in, in the whole thing. Uh, uh, he told me at a very early age that, you know, that I could take on any sport I wanted, anything I wanted to do, go for it. Um, and, you know, I was probably you know, four or five years old, and, and I just noticed him going to the golf course every Saturday. My dad was an attorney. Uh, this is kind of a goofball story, but my dad was an attorney, and my grandfather was an attorney my great-grandfather was an attorney and so uh when you look at that line lineage you wonder what the heck did i do wrong right <laughs> but uh so my dad was an attorney and he would always he would take a lot of clients out to the golf course in this small little town in iowa called manchester iowa we had a nine-hole private club called manchester country club and he would he would go out there on thursdays and then on saturdays he'd go out there with his best buddies so I'm about seven or eight years old, and uh, and I said to my dad, I said, well, you know, I'd really, I'd like to take try try that golf stuff. And so, I believe it or not, my sister made me a handmade club out of a stick and a rock just when I was little, and, and I remember hitting that. So, my dad said to me, he says, well, you can you can use your mom's clubs until you break forty for nine holes, and then I'll get you a set of clubs. So long story short, every Saturday uh, afternoon uh, it was my dad's and my time to get together and we played golf. And um, after I had been doing that for three or four years, I was probably 12 years old or so, um, 
I became interested in working on the golf course. I said, well, this, this, you know, this sounds like fun. I could be outdoors. I like golf. And I could basically stay, stay the whole day out, out at the country club, and my mom wouldn't have to worry about me. And, and uh, you know, I, I would go to work in the morning and go play golf in the afternoon because uh, I was working on the golf course. And uh, so that all became ingrained in, in, in me because uh, I spent so much time on the golf course as a kid, and my dad put the club in my hands and, and taught me how to, how to play golf. And, uh, and it, you know, it, it's, it stuck with me. I, loved the, 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 my, I could see the love of the game through my dad, and as soon as I got into golf, I, I, I was hooked. You know, and I, I, I love the game. To you know, once you once you're hooked on golf, I think you, it hangs with you for a lifetime. What do you remember about the people who worked at the golf course? <laughs> well, it was, it was me and an old retired farmer for most of the summer. We would for projects like you know, um, uh, you know, airification and things like that. We'd bring in some some other you know high school kids or whatever. But it was. It was me and a retired farmer, and um, he he would always mow the greens, and I would do almost everything else. And um, it, it was it was a great job. We have one we have one guy that just mowed fairways. He was an old retired farmer, also just got on a tractor with a pull behind fairway gang, probably eight six to eight you know real mowers, and he'd mow fairways, and uh, and I did everything in between. So. And at that point in time, we didn't have we didn't have uh, automatic irrigation systems, so I was the night waterman on the greens. We had only we only had irrigation on the greens, no irrigation anywhere else. And um, so I would the greens were almost large enough that you didn't have to move the the sprinklers, but you know we had sprinklers on rollers, and, and uh, so I would go out and put the rollers out as, as dark as, as, as it was getting dark. In fact, I used to play my last nine holes every day from the tractor and people in the club got to know that when they saw Bruce on the tractor, that they better hurry up because he was starting to turn on the water. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I would make the loop and play nine holes while I was doing it. And as soon as I got done doing the loop, I'd go back to the first green and go back and move, move the sprinkler. And just finish, finish the loop. So it's highly technical irrigation system there <laughs> that we that we utilize in Manchester, Iowa. So if I have this right, you were in a managerial role on a golf course as a teenager. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was fun. I was assistant golf course superintendent. Yes, as a teenager. Yes, assistant because there was only two of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, in your mind, as you recall some of those stories and remember working on, on that golf course. What are some of the biggest changes in agronomy over the last 50-some years, and how does that affect the job of a golf course architect, some of those advances? Excellent, excellent question. That's a, that's, I could probably answer that three or four different ways. But I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, one of the, uh, one of the things, and I credit, uh, I think it's Gene Sarazen who said this quote when they asked him, you know, Mr. Sarazen, towards the end of his life, Mr. Sears, and you know, what's the greatest advancement you've seen in the game of golf? And of course, everybody expects him to say something like the sand wedge or whatever. And he didn't even hesitate. He says, the green's more. He says, and this is, you know, how many years ago did Gene Sarazen die? You know, he said that the advancement that they've made in the green's more has changed the game of golf because of how fast the putting greens have become. All the contours on greens are accentuated. And um, so I would vote for that probably be and again the biggest advancement has been the ability to mow 
the green surfaces and the surrounds and the fairways with just all the mowing equipment is so precise now. And, uh, you know, it, it, that's, that's really uh, changed the way the ball behaves on greens. You know, shoot, I'm living at Pop Tempo, and, you know, I'm sure Alex and McKenzie didn't think they were going to be designing, you know, built, you know, being able to putt these greens at 13, 14 on this 10 meter <laughs> when he designed them. In fact, there's, it's been fun to, to, to continue on this line about how the greens more has changed things. Um, you know, I've been blessed to, to go back to some Robert Trent Jones senior golf courses and, and help touch them up and remodel them. And one of the first things I do is I get Mr. Jones's old sketches and I, and I look at them very, very closely and, and try to crawl into his mind and say, okay, where did he want to put holes? Where are his hole locations? And then I go out and look at those slopes and there's probably almost every renovation of Robert Trent Jones senior work I've, I've, I've been involved in. It's like, wow, that, well, that slope's just too strong now, you know? So we got to, we got to, we got to soften that slope down to get that great hole location back because, you know, Trent, Trent was a diabolical guy. I mean, you know, easy bogey, right? Hard par. Um, so he, you know, he, he was green designs were, 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 there was at least one or two places where it was it was do or die type of hole location. So, um, so that that I think has been the, the biggest change that's affected design philosophy. I, I, I'm much in, I'm more into greens that that move and tilt and tie into each other as opposed to putting a bunch of decks in and big rolls and stuff. And unless you're Unless you're working on a dune site in, in Vietnam or something like we just did, where we went back and we said, okay, let's, let's get back into some link style green architecture where you put all that stuff in the middle of greens, you know, it's, it's like St. Andrews, some of the stuff. I think that's been, that's been huge in, in changing the, the design over the years is, is the ability to mow, the, mow all greens, tees, fairways, all those surfaces at a much lower height of cut. What type of responsibility and opportunity is it to get a chance to restore or renovate a Robert Trent Jones senior course? I mean, we're in a unique position there, obviously, as being, you know, kind of a holders of that legacy. You know, the, the you know, the Jones sons have, have the ability to do that. and They know their father. So um, it's, it's, it's a big sense of responsibility. It's also, uh, you know, trying to you know crawl into the mindset of when the golf course was built how far the the drives and how far the ball flew you know what what was considered a whole location uh when the golf course was built and then you, you, you kind of dissect all that stuff and put it all together and um you i like to stay true to to his design philosophies as much as he can uh, you know, if he put two bunkers on the right side of the landing area, um, even though the landing area is moved, uh, I try to bring back those two bunkers, in, but shift them in the locations where they now make sense, the way they used to make sense, and then try to match style. So I like to, I like to, I like to stay pretty true to it. Uh, I, I would say the major difference I have when we're doing some RTJ senior renovations is is I, I probably, and I don't know if Trent would do this if he was alive nowadays, but I have a tendency to use, you know, slopes around and outside the greens and mow them tight so that the ball is, you know, if, is affected by those tightly mowed 
fairway areas and and uh, you know it gives it gives a lot of flexibility to the type of shots players can hit around the greens so but yeah i definitely feel a sense of of responsibility and respect for for the original design when I, whenever i see an rtj senior course i'm walking it going okay what was he thinking why was he trying to do that and and you can't guess, you know, everything, but, you know, if you know what you're looking for, you especially when he tells you that in the office, drainage, drainage, drainage. And that's kind of my secret. When I first go out to see an RTJ senior course, I'm go, I, I really try to figure out where the water's going. Now, looking at your portfolio, you, you've worked on hundreds of fascinating projects. I would say probably every golf course architecture project is fascinating in some way, but one that really stuck out to me was a fairly recent one. In 2018, you worked at past PGA championship site, Tanglewood Park in North Carolina. And your firm worked with Richard Mandel, who is a fellow ASGCA member. What was that project like, and what does it say about your business that a firm like yours can collaborate with another member of the ASGCA to do something special? Well, I think, you know, once again, I mean, that's a great example of some great Robert Trent Jones senior work. And, uh, you know, and it was all started with with greens renovations because they're going to resurface greens, and the project kind of grew as, as it went. But um, you know, we were we were brought in by uh, by Forsyth County, who owns the you know Tanglewood, and they wanted to to work on uh, the championship course and and bring that back to the glory days of the PGA. In fact, when uh, I think Lee Trevino won there, if I recall. Um, and uh, so we said, great. So we did a master plan and, and worked up what we thought was some, some, some really good ways to, to utilize RTJ senior design philosophy, yep, yep, get it into today's game. And, and uh, we worked closely on that. And uh, the folks at, at Forsyth County uh, had a concern with us being all the way across the country. Um, and they had, uh, they have, uh, talked to uh, to a number of, of of architects through North Carolina, and uh, so they just asked me one day, said, "Hey, would you guys consider, you know, collaborating with uh, a, a local person to uh, to help get this project done?" And I said, "I said, yeah, I really would consider that, but the person has to be uh, an ASGCA member." Because uh, I'm, I'm a big ASGCA guy, I've, you know, I served as president and you know all, the whole executive committee, and done the same thing for the foundation. And it's just a really meaningful organization in my life. So I just know that when people are in the ASGCA, they've got a certain element of experience. So I, I just made that statement. I said, yeah, as long as they're in the ASGCA, you know, uh, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to work that out. Because I wanted to make sure the project got done, and I knew that Forsyth County was limited in its funds, and they really, really wanted to get this done. So uh, that, that's that's how it all all came about. And uh, and you know, Richard did a lot of the legwork. You know, we did drawings with Richard, and then uh, Richard was great. He would go on site visits and send me photos. We did a we did some joint visits together, and. Uh, it was it was easy. It was bantering back and forth about golf architecture. It was fun. And Richard's Richard's uh, got a good eye and good training, you know. And uh, so it was fun. Speaking of municipal golf courses that have hosted major championships, your firm got to do Chambers Bay in the Pacific Northwest. What did that opportunity and the result of that opportunity 
mean to your company? When we first got the RFP um, for 27 holes uh, on an old landfill or old mining site in Pacific Northwest, without seeing this maps and everything, um, you know, our people in our business development at the time said, well, I don't know, Bruce, he, he, he just pumped it on my desk and said, take a look at this. I don't know if this makes any sense because, you know, it's a public job, 27 holes, old landfill. You know, I mean, he used the word landfill. It's actually an old route the quarry. And um, so I, I took a look at it, and I crawled into the RFP, and I went, holy moly, look at this thing. I mean, and we hadn't even been on the site yet. And uh, I said, this is this is." pretty spectacular stuff i mean it had a lot of contour in terms of elevation chains of course you have puget sound right there it was partially overgrown with very very young trees that had grown since they um you know abandoned part of the mining operation we decided okay yeah we're going for it and um and to be selected uh out of i think 57 firms that um were were considered for that project was a was a real win obviously that that gave us a lot of a lot of confidence but um uh i think what we did going into the interview is that i remember the first time that i walked the site and uh, i was with uh jay blasey and mike gorman from our team and, and john strawn who was our business development guy and, and business guy at the time um i could not believe it and uh I remember, <laughs> I'm a big Chicago Bears fan. I don't. I grew up in Iowa, so that's why I'm a big Bears fan. And, and you know, the stories go that Walter Payton used to run sand hills outside of Chicago. Some he had some hill of sand that he used to run up and down. That's how his legs were so strong. So we get up and we're looking at. I'm walking the site, and I turn to the owner, and I and I, and I go, "Wow, look at this! It, it was a it was probably a 40 foot high sand dune. It's on the right side of hole number 10 now." And I looked at it, and I said, I'm going to show you what Walter Payton used to do, because they were giving me a hard time because they're all Seahawks fans, and I got my Bears stuff on. And I said, I'm going to show you what Walter Payton used to do. So I started running up and running up this hill of sand, and I got up to the top, and I, and I, I got a whole new perspective of the place because now I could see over the trees, over these very young trees, 10, 12, 12 feet, 14 feet high trees. And uh, it was then when I was running up that dune and I realized this is all sand. This is sand everywhere. I mean, they just piled sand. And, you know, that that, that gravel pit that's Chambers Bay is, was, was the, the gravel pit for constructing I-5, Interstate 5, through Oregon and Washington. That's where they got all the gravel and all the materials. In fact, it used to be called the Stillicom Mining Company. And they, to this day, the Washington State Department of Transportation has a specification that calls for silicon-grade gravel, which obviously they don't do it from that mine anymore, but it's got a certain type of stone and a certain type of, of size. So, so when, when, they, when they went to the site and mined it for all the gravel, they left their, their, their discard or their waste product was sand. And at that point in time, after doing that crazy run up the hill, that I, I realized, oh my God, this is all sand. We we can do whatever the hell we want here in terms of of you know shaping and, and making shapes work. And um, to to our clients' credit, Pierce County, they, they they kept the mining permit after the mining operation left. They kept their mining permit 
uh, active. So if we, you know, if we wanted to, if we wanted to, you know, uh, literally cut 50 feet or fill 100 feet, we could because there was no there was no restriction. It was a mine, and so that gave us tremendous flexibility to really work the site. Yeah, and we did. We, you know, we, we, we spent a lot of time making that site look like it's been there for a long time. We left some key components of the of the mining operation, and 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 I tell everybody, you know, it was like we were kids in a in a sandbox. Literally, we were in a sandbox, and we could we could just play with all of our big trucks and do whatever the heck we wanted. So it was it was the once in a lifetime opportunity, that's for sure. For our listeners that aren't familiar, Chambers Bay is more than just a golf course. I'll tell you a quick story here, Bruce. Uh, Last September, my girlfriend and I took a trip to Olympic National Park in Mount Rainier. So we flew into Seattle-Tacoma Airport. We had about a a two-and-a-half-hour drive to where we were staying in Port Angeles. Uh And we wanted to stretch our legs. And I, I go, okay, I know a place we can go for a hike or walk on the way. Well, it happened to be Chambers Bay. There's a public access trail around the golf course. She's a non-golfer. We're walking uh-huh. around. She's asking me dozens of questions about the course. And she's like, are all golf courses like this? I said, well, not quite. This is a unique one. And here's why. And she just became fascinated with the property and the trail and seeing all sorts of people out there enjoying it. And she's actually now put a golf club in her hand. And I'm not sure if that's what sparked it or not. But my question here is, how cool is it? is somebody that's passionate about running and personal wellness that Chambers Bay has become more than just a, a golf course for people to enjoy. Well, that was, that was a key component from day one. And we knew yeah. going in, we knew, we knew going in that that was something that Pierce County wanted to stress. And, mm-hmm. and it was so much fun, uh, you know, making those trail connections and, and making it all work. And of course, we had in mind when we were designing the course and where those trails were going that that would also become gallery circulation because mm-hmm. you, you know it was our goal up front right away that i mean we told pierce county in our interview that they wanted us to do 27 holes and we told them no do 18 holes really really well and, and give you space to have flexibility for gallery gallery circulation and really do something special and, and they listened to us and and um, so that whole pathway system was designed for two purposes, obviously the public to enjoy it on a day-to-day basis, but also to be a major thoroughfare for, for uh, you know, a large tournament like the U.S. Open. So, um, but yeah, uh, very, very proud of, the, of that combination of uses. And, you know, funny story is that when they opened up the, the, uh, the clubhouse, the temporary, quote-unquote, temporary clubhouse and the dining facility, you know, this was all done out of very temporary buildings. They, uh, the very first year that Chambers Bay was open, um, the dining facility, the food and beverage facility at the top of the hill, which was just a small type of thing, surpassed its revenue projections by i think five times it was just amazing because everybody was walking around this place and they drop in and have a sandwich or you know have a have a drink or whatever and sitting there and watch the sunset it became a great place and all of a sudden now people wanted to have weddings there it was like crazy so we developed an attraction by having the golf course be in their their forefront and being able to walk through that space is huge. It's not say you can't go there. You can't go there. No, it's a golf course that yes, you can go through and and enjoy. 
and that's fun. I've, as a runner, I've done that loop probably I don't know maybe half a dozen times. I can tell you one thing: there is one. E- there's an easy way, and there's a hard way loop on that too. Um, but um, yeah, that's it, it was it was great, and it's a huge it was a huge thing to have the 2015 U.S. Open there, and and uh, uh, we're crossing our fingers. We think there's some uh, there's some good things coming to Chambers Bay, hopefully sometime soon. Yeah, I read an interview with you from 2015, and, and you told the Gazette newspaper in Iowa, I've got a lot of good left in me. Uh, describe <laughs> what the last five and a half years have been like for you and the firm since Chambers Bay has hosted the U.S. Open. It's been great. Uh, it's been challenging. Uh, it's been, especially with the COVID the last year or so, it's been um, back to the roots of our golf architecture, keep it simple. And, you know, you're doing almost everything yourself. And, um, uh, but I would say, you know, after, you know, when, when Chambers Bay was selected to have the U S open, that was a huge thing. I told Bobby at the time, it was like, uh, it was like uh, winning an Academy award for best picture, you know? And, uh, it was a validation of some really creative thoughts and work that we had put out there. And then of course they have the open and, you know, the, the players don't say anything about the golf course from tee to green, but the, the greens were obviously a big bone of contention or, or discussion. Um, I, I, I always point to the fact that, you know, on Sunday, back nine, Louis Hughes using suits 29, so I guess it was totally unfair. <laughs> you know, I mean, so, uh, but it was just the mindset that I think everybody likes to complain about the green. So it was unfortunate that, that the Chambers had the, you know, the uh, stigma of those, of those, of the greens being, uh, you know, so bumpy. But coming out of the whole Chambers Bay experience was, uh, uh, you know, a lot of, of, of people recognizing our work and recognizing it as not being cookie cutter or, or something like what Robert Trent Jones Sr. did. We do our own thing. We do it differently. But since then, we've gotten the chance to work on some some really great sandy sites in Vietnam, down in Mexico, at Costa Palmas, and because of that Chambers Bay work, I think people see that hey, we can you know as a firm can create some some really cool golf experiences in land that is not necessarily the best piece of land, but once you give it give us the the sand component, you know we're off to the races. Uh, we did something very similar on an old pine farm in, uh, in the middle of Denmark, a place called Lubker Golf Resort, all sand. And when we got out there, we found it was all sand. It was like, whoa. So we hardly moved any dirt. We just exposed what was underneath the ground. And that all kind of stems from, you know, cham- you know what we had done at Chambers Bay and the success with Chambers Bay. So it's been, it's been a, a, a lighthouse, if you will, of people seeing that, you know, that Robert Trent Jones too is just not doing Parkland golf courses. You know what I mean? It was it was a it was a, val- a validation that 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 we had the creativity to do golf courses of of all kinds of styles, and that was extremely helpful to the firm. Just throughout the course of this podcast, you've probably mentioned projects in six different countries. What has the past year been like for the firm, especially a firm like yours that travels a lot internationally? And how is everybody? adjusted to what 2020 brought it well great question it's been tough um but 
you know, uh, when you run up, when you run into a wall, you can either just turn around and head backwards or you can figure out a way, well, you know, i got to get over on the other side of this wall. Let's figure out some way to do it. And, uh, um, you know, we found that, you know, thank God for drone technology. Uh, you know, I'm working on a bunker innovation project in China, and the, the, the client sent me, sent me drone technology, and I fly the drone on my computer, and I hit stop, I hit pause, and take a screenshot of that print it out, draw all over that screenshot, scan it, send it back. And and uh, so I'm able to get, you know, some pretty productive work done uh, without actually being on the site. Now, there's nothing that, there's absolutely nothing that um, replaces being on the site. Uh, so I'm, I'm a component, I and mean, I'm a proponent of making sure you get to the site and you, and you do a lot of your site visits on the site. But... From that perspective, you know, we're, we're, we're working on a brand-new course in, in the Caribbean. We're working on, you know, new stuff in Ecuador. We're just finishing up in, in Vietnam is, uh, and uh, looking at more work there. We've done uh, Mike Gorman from our team, who's a really talented guy and uh, been my right-hand guy for all oh, the last 10 years now. Um, you know, he's in France right now, and he's staying there on a project and doing a bunker renovation, he's staying there for, you know, a month just working from there because he can get so much work done on site and then he's on a totally different time zone, so I can draw all day. Like, I'm working on a drawing today that I'm going to scan at the end of the day and send to Mike, and he'll be working on it while I'm sleeping. You know, he'll be doing the rendering and all that kind of stuff. So you you just work. You just find ways to work. And uh, we have not changed our philosophy about, you know, we're – hugely interested in all courses, all parts of the world. Um, you know, uh, I know Bobby's always considered himself kind of a, uh, you know, a global, a global golf guy. He, he just wants to be known globally. And, uh, you know, there's some architects that prefer to stick closer to home. That's fine. That's a great decision either way. But, um, yeah, it's affected us. We, we've all gotten on planes, uh, when we needed to, uh, but I would say um, travel is down oh, 80% of what it used to be uh, because of, of all the restrictions and, you know, the pandemic. You just got to be careful. But, but um, I'm as busy as ever, <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, it's, it, our, 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 our work continues. So, Yeah, despite some of the challenges of the, the past year, just how glad are you that you – took that job 40 years ago and how rewarding has this career path been for you yeah i mean i was the right place right time um right right individuals uh i mean i can't say enough about about you know don not gary lynn robert Trent jones jr you know those guys that were there when i first started you know they just they they made me feel important and made me feel wanted and uh, when Mark Raythert decided to leave, which was about six months after I'd been there, I got thrown into the fire, and all of a sudden I'm 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 leading you know three or four projects. <laughs> so it was sink or swim, dude. So um, uh, in that sense, it was it was uh, it was uh, you know a lot of fun and immediate growth. So um, throughout the years, I, I I just you know always you know thank thank. Be very very thankful that I had that opportunity so young, so young in my career, and uh, I, I build upon it all the time. 
uh, and I, I go back and I think about, you know, some of those early days and, and, you know, have I learned or is some of those early thoughts are good. <laughs> so it's been hugely, hugely rewarding in the fact that um, not only are the golf courses um, rewarding in terms of, you know, you can go back and you can see your work and people enjoying it and, you know, it matures and things like that. But probably equally important are the experiences that you have, the people that you meet, um, the bonds and, and like philosophies that you develop with people. And, um, you know, I always tell people, man, if you can't have fun doing what we're doing, we, we all should quit. So I believe in, in really kind of enjoying the whole experience. And uh, that's always been important. So if you look at it with that attitude, you know, every, every job is a new opportunity to have fun, right? So that's, 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 that's kind of the way I go. Well, Bruce, speaking of fun, we've recorded for close to 50 minutes. It's felt like five minutes. Uh, really yeah, it's gone. appreciative that you took the time. Thanks for joining the, the podcast. And we look forward to, to seeing what you and Robert Trent Jones to do down the road here. Oh yeah. We got, we got some, we got some good things up our sleeve. And uh, you know, like, like I said, in 2015, I got a lot of good left in me. So that's good. <laughs>